A Christ-honoring church will have godly leadership. It'll have loving fellowship and a commitment to gospel preaching. But those qualities don't exempt the church from conflict. Wherever sinful people gather, there will be occasional issues that pop up. However, the qualities I mentioned do help prepare a church for the conflict that's sure to come. Welcome to The Wisdom Journey. Stephen's message today is called Hypocrisy in the Assembly. The Sanhedrin, Israel's Supreme Court, has just commanded Peter and John to never speak of Jesus again. And with that, we're here in Acts chapter 4, where the two apostles report back to their church family what has just happened. Uh, The church uh, starts a, a prayer meeting uh, they're not praying, by the way, you know, Lord, why did you allow Peter and John to suffer? You know, why did you make them spend the night in jail? Oh, no. They begin here in verse 24 uh, by uh, praising their sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth. In other words, they praised him that he is in total control. Now, still their prayers acknowledge the reality of their troubles. They recall that here in verse 27, that Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, were were essentially all gathered against the testimony of Jesus. It, It was unjust. What had just happened was evil. But, beloved, the church doesn't start a campaign to unseat Herod or Pilate. They're not picketing the palace. They understand uh, that even evil men are part of God's plans as he, as he works all things together for good. You know, we're all prone to discouragement and despair and defeat unless we understand that trouble never enters our lives without God's permission. Not, now, not everything that happens to us is good. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say all things are good. The Bible says God works together for good, all things, Romans 8, 28. Now, with that kind of perspective, the church makes this uh, specific prayer request here in verse 29. Lord, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. This ought to be convicting truth to us today. They don't ask God to make the world a nicer place. They don't ask God to get the Sanhedrin off their backs. They ask God for boldness to continue proclaiming the truth about Christ. Now, at this rather signature prayer event, God dramatically responds here in verse 31. When they had prayed, the place was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were all under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And what happened? They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What does that mean? That means God answered their prayer. What does that mean? Well, that means God answered their prayer. By the way, he he didn't eliminate their problems. The the Sanhedrin isn't going out of business now. Uh, Their lives as disciples isn't going to get any easier. But God is empowering them to continue speaking the truth with boldness. Now, the early church is described here in verse 32. Those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, 
but they had everything in common. Verse 34 adds, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Now, don't misunderstand, beloved. The Christians here aren't starting a commune. What's happening here is that that people are are losing their jobs. These believers are, are being kicked out of their homes. They're being disinherited by their families for following Jesus. And as a result, the church is is suddenly filled with needy people. Uh, Keep in mind that if all the believers here sold their their homes and gave all their money away, well, they themselves would become needy. So what's happening here isn't communal living. This is community living. Uh, The Lord doesn't lead us, beloved, to escape the world into our little Christian community, but to engage the world with the gospel as a community that supports one another, helps one another, encourages one another, but together we reach our world. In fact, we're given here an example of this kind of community care. Verse 36 introduces us to a man who was called by the apostles Barnabas. That means son of encouragement. Barnabas is a a native of Cyprus. He's well known for being an encourager. In fact, verse 37 tells us that Barnabas uh, sold a piece of land he owned, and he he brought the money to the apostles. He wasn't looking for his name to be, you know, put on a plaque or up in lights. He wasn't seeking applause. He just wanted to help his needy fellow believers. Well, at this point, you know, we're, we're amazed at the love and the unity and the growth here in this early church. And I got to tell you, it's, it's wonderful. But don't ever think uh, if a church does the right thing, uh, Satan's going to leave it alone. Well, no, that's the kind of church Satan's going to come after. And he doesn't always try to outright uh, destroy the church. Sometimes he, he joins it and he works from the inside. And that's Satan's next move now as we turn to Acts chapter 5, following that sacrificial example. Now, here in verse 1, we're told, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, let me tell you, there was nothing wrong with keeping some of the money from this sale. They, they hadn't been commanded to sell the land to begin with. There would have been nothing wrong with keeping some of the proceeds if they'd just been honest about it, and that's the point. They're going to fake it. They want to appear to be just as sacrificial as Barnabas had been. You know, isn't it interesting, beloved, that the first internal problem the church has to deal with is not immorality, it isn't embezzlement, it isn't disunity, or even, or even defection. It's, it's hypocrisy. This couple is putting on an act in front of the church, and it's a lie. Now, we're not told how. We're just told that Peter recognizes what's going on, and he confronts Ananias here in verse 3. He says to him, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Then in verse 4, Peter says, You've not lied to men, but to God. Verse 5, 
When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Well, now, what about Sapphira? Well, she's part of this scheme. It makes me think about the fact that their marriage had a tragic element. They didn't keep each other accountable before the Lord. You know, one of them should have told the other one how wrong this idea was. Someone once said to me, we all need someone in our lives we cannot fool. Well, we're told here that Sapphira comes to church and about three hours later, and Peter asks her point blank here in verse 8, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Then Peter asks her in verse 9, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Within seconds, she collapses, dies, she's taken out, and she's buried next to her husband. Now, why would such a unique, strong response take place here? I mean, today, hypocrites are alive and well after the church service. You know, frankly, sometimes they're they're in the pulpit. They, They finish church and go out to lunch. Well, we're not told why, but you might recall when the Israelites first moved into the promised land that the very very first problem the Lord dealt with was deception. Achan stole money and valuables and tried to cover it up back there in Joshua chapter 7. Perhaps God is sending a very strong message early on here that honesty and integrity are not optional for the church today. They are essential. Verse 11 tells us that great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. In fact, down in verse 13, we read, others didn't join them, even though they held them in high esteem. See, the believers had greater reverence. Unbelievers were afraid to show up. Can you imagine uh, this day, hey, where are you going to go to church next Sunday? Well, I'm going to go to that church over in Jerusalem. Well, haven't you heard what they do to dishonest people over there? <laughs> you lie, and it'll be your funeral. Well, uh, I don't think that ought to happen. Frankly, this was a message given to the early church. But wouldn't it be great if the world was, you know, maybe a little afraid to attend our church services because they they knew that a holy God whom we worshiped was going to show up? Yet at the same time, uh, the world held us in high esteem for our integrity and honesty. What if we lived in such a way that the world said of our church, you know, those people over there are different, but they are for real. I don't necessarily want to hang around them, but I sure do respect them. They keep their word. They're honest. They care about each other. They're truly committed to this Jesus whom they love and serve. Wouldn't that be a great testimony? Well, let's live today and make that testimony reality. Well, until our next wisdom journey, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thanks for joining us today for this lesson along the wisdom journey. Stephen Davey is teaching through the Bible 
and he called this lesson hypocrisy in the assembly. Stephen is the president of Wisdom International. As a broadcast ministry, we're always encouraged when we hear from those who listen. Of course, the only way we can know is if you tell us. We'd love to hear from you, learn a little bit about you, and discover how the wisdom journey is helping you in your walk with Christ. You can send an email to info at wisdomonline.org. Once again, that's info at wisdomonline.org. You can write to us at Wisdom International, P.O. Box 37297, Raleigh, North Carolina, 27627. We'd love to hear from you. And when you write, please tell us how you listen. When we come back next time, Stephen will continue this journey through the book of Acts. Be with us then on this wisdom journey.